0: Hi, I'm your host, Brittany Spence, and this is In the Face of Illness. We are a podcast committed to cultivating a greater understanding of the many resources available for families facing childhood illness, because we believe this is a vital topic of conversation, not only for families in the throes of the fight, but for everyone. Ultimately, we are here to offer hope in the face of illness. We're so glad to have Cindy with us here today. Welcome, Cindy. Hi. Glad to be here. Um, We have known Cindy and Philip for a long time and along with Asher, and so we're just um, excited to have you on. I know that it's not always easy to tell your story and to tell Asher's story, and so we appreciate you coming and just spending time with us and telling us a little bit more. So um, let's just start with where and when did
1: Asher's medical journey begin? So his was the day um, he was born. He, we had a um, really difficult labor and delivery, and during the delivery, he suffered a brain injury. So he came out um, needing to be resuscitated, um, and they had to do CPR on him and immediately took him to the NICU. So it was from day one. And the NICU at the hospital you delivered? Yes. Okay. And how long did he stay there? So he was there for 10 days, and then they transferred us to Le Bonheur's NICU, and we stayed there for 17 more days, so 27 days total in the NICU. Okay. And so those first 10 days
0: at an area hospital, mm-hmm. were they just monitoring him? What all
1: kind of was being done in that NICU? Um, so at first they were just making sure he was going to make it through the night. He was hooked up to... A bunch of monitors. Um, I think at one point they um, decided that he had suffered a brain injury and definitely needed to be what uh, put on a cooling blanket, Mm -hmm. which um, takes the body temperature down a couple degrees so that the brain injury doesn't spread. Um, It's a way to keep the child's um, uh, organs that aren't vital. Um, cooled down so that the brain can focus on healing and not spreading the brain injury. Mm, Okay. And so
0: while he was in, I guess, still in your tummy or during the birth canal or just somewhere along all that way, Mm -hmm. there was a loss of oxygen.
1: Yeah. So he had um, the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck.
0: Wow.
1: And so I was in labor for, well, I was pushing for three and a half hours Before anyone knew? Yeah, before they said something's wrong. Wow. And so then they tried to do the, um, which they had asked what we wanted to do and gave us some options. So we chose to have the vacuum. Okay. And to pull him out vaginally that way. Because he was really low. It's just he just wasn't finishing and coming out. Mm. So when they did the vacuum, and it popped off, and he bottomed out, and his heart rate went to zero, and it was like, S- go to the OR, we've wow. got to get this baby out. Okay.
0: Yeah. So still did, a, had to do a full C-section. hmm And then when they brought him out, they saw the umbilical cord wrapped around his neck at that time, or were they able to right away tell?
1: Um, you know, that's a good question. I'm not really sure. I did not know what was happening until I... Uh, a couple of days later. Really? Yeah. I okay. didn't realize like what kept him from coming out. Mm. So basically it was, um, not to be too graphic, but you know, almost like a noose wrapped around his neck mm. and it was just tightening and tightening and tightening as he was coming down the birth canal. Mm. And so, um, once they did the C-section, I don't even think they focused on, Letting me know what was going on, it was more of this little blue baby came out and they had to, you know, get him breathing again um and then get him evaluated, put in the NICU so he could be evaluated. Yeah, yeah.
0: And your husband, mm-hmm. was he in the room, in the C-section room
1: with you? He was. Um, Yeah, yeah I remember it was a really scary time for me because... We were rushed, and so Mm -hmm. Philip still had to go get, like, scrubs on and sanitize where he could come in the room. And he said he was just sitting there, and they had forgotten about him because it was such a, Mm. you know, um, scary time for everyone. Doctors and nurses were rushing around, and they finally went and got him. But thankfully there was this little angel man there that was – I think he was an anesthesiologist and okay. he stood with me and held my hand and was like, you're going to be okay. And of course I'm bawling my eyes out, yeah. like terrified, like what is happening? You yeah. know? Yeah. It's just not how you think it's going right. to happen when you're like imagining going into labor with your child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nothing
0: like you imagined. No. And so did somebody eventually get Philip? Yeah. And he was and able, he to, was come able to come in. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so on that other side, Did he see Asher come out, blue and unresponsive?
1: He did. and He said it was very um, traumatic for him because, you know, a C-section, you have to move a lot of the woman's organs to get the baby out. And he just saw all of that when he walked in. And Mm. he just said it was terrifying. And then within a couple of minutes, they're over there doing CPR on him. And, you know, and I'm crying and he's just trying to console me, but also... Look over and see what's going on with Asher. Mm. So,
0: and so much with brain injuries, too, there's so much unknown. Right. There's so much of don't know. I know where Forrest's brain injury was that, based upon where it was, they thought that he would be seizing all the time. Right. And he didn't seize. Right. And so, based upon you know what the books say or literature says or whatever, that's what should have been happening. Now, mind you, at a lot of other, uh, you know, a lot of issues because of the brain bleed and where the brain injury was, but it wasn't textbook what they thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And so, with brain injuries, it's so hard to predict. How quickly did they kind of sit you and Philip down and say? this is what's going on this is what we potentially see because you said it took a couple days for you to figure out do you think part of that was shock was that that they had not told you they had kept you on the dark kind of lead me through that part so obviously they take asher they Mm -hmm. immediately are working on him rushing him Mm -hmm. making sure he's okay you still have to be put back together yeah sewn up um And then kind of lead me through that part. So you then...
1: Yeah, so they took me back to a recovery room, and I believe, and it's kind of Mm -hmm, a little bit mm -hmm. gray because it was, um, you know, just so much was going on. Mm -hmm. But um, I remember one of um, the neonatologists came in and basically told us that we weren't, they weren't sure if Asher was going to make it through the night. And then he had had a seizure um, from the brain injury, um, and they were going to put them on this cooling blanket and start them on, like, phenobarbital, which is a common medicine that they give um, children if they come out seizing, just to keep the seizures from coming back and doing more um, brain injury. So, um, you know, we slept in the room for a little bit. I mean, I don't think we slept. We were there just in recovery, supposed to be sleeping. And then um, I want to say – Maybe within some hours they allowed us to go down and like look at him, but we couldn't hold him or anything because he was hooked up to so many monitors and he was on this cooling blanket, which, you know, um, you just couldn't mess with any of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And then at some point while he was in the NICU, um, they did sit us down and have a very difficult conversation with us. Um, I think the MRI had come back because they had taken him to do an MRI once he got off the cooling blanket. Okay. So that's a 72-hour process, the cooling blanket is. okay, And then they warm the body back up and you can finally hold them. Okay. So at some point after that, within a couple of days, they sat down and kind of told us a little bit about what had happened and what to expect. And it was pretty terrible news. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, just... Your son has a severe brain injury, and his life will be very different. Y'all's life will be very different. Um, He could be hooked up to monitors the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. And even went as far as to say, you know, and if there is a point where you have to let him go, you know, um, it may come to that. And there's a lot of support that you'll need, and we'll be here to walk you through it. And Mm yeah, yeah. And it's just not something we expected to hear, yeah, yeah, so, and so what
0: what was the decision of then him going to Lebonner versus staying at this other hospital?
1: I think because they saw the severity of the brain injury, um, he had very few reflexes. Um, they th- said they felt like they had done everything they could do, okay. and Labonner was one of the best places in the country for children to go that needed additional help. And there, he would be able to have a neurologist and all kinds of other people that would um, give him just a, a um, even more deep care than okay. they could provide at this particular hospital. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: So he's transferred day 10. Mm -hmm. So while you're back in the other hospital, obviously you were discharged. Yes. So have to leave. He's still in the hospital. Yes. And that's so hard on its own. It is. And so you're just kind of commuting back and forth.
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah, because there was no place to sleep. Mm Mm-hmm. So I stayed as long as insurance would allow me to stay in the yeah. hospital. Yeah. You know, we even made the call of, can I stay another night? Uh-huh. And they are like, no, you have to discharge, you know. Yeah, yeah. So we went home, and um, it's an empty feeling. Yeah. You know, yeah. not to take your baby home with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but we would commute up there every day, and grandparents were surrounding us, and they did allow grandparents to go in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Every day, we just got up as early as we could, and we just stayed the whole day there until they kicked us out. Yeah. So then day
0: 10, they're saying, okay, he needs to go. He's transferred to Le mm-hmm. He goes directly into the NICU? Yes. At Le Bonheur. Okay, because NICU to NICU. Um, and could you stay in that NICU?
1: Um, no, there was no beds in the NICU. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't remember, because what year were y'all? We were 2014. Okay, so we were in the new hospital, and they did have like a little half wall behind the crib, and you could right, right. and you could go back there and take a nap, but you wouldn't want to sleep there. Yeah. Okay.
0: So, um. Okay. So ten, day ten, at La Bonner, and at this point, kind of how are you feeling? How, you know, if you look back on that, are you feeling hopeful? Are you more of this is more dire than I thought. Um, do you feel like you're starting to kind of understand? Like for me, I feel like I, looking back, I was in shock. Mm-hmm. And I, I really, for me, there was something about 14 days for me, mm-hmm. right about the two week mark is when it really hit me how unbelievably sick Forrest was mm-hmm. and that we weren't walking out of here with a perfectly healthy, normal child. Right. Why 14 days was it for me? But I think about that a lot when I'm mentoring families and I'm talking to families. And they may be very standoffish to me in the beginning. Or they, very, you know, in the beginning may very much come off as like, I don't need you. I don't know why you're here. We're going to be fine. My baby's going to be fine. My child's going to be fine. We don't really need you. And when I was training other mentors, I would always say, don't give up. Hmm. They're either not ready to accept it or they're still in just complete shock and it hasn't come yet. I think about if a parent mentor had walked into force room any of those first two weeks, I think I would have looked at it and said, I don't know why you're here. Like right. we're he's gonna be fine. We're gonna be fine. Right. Something kind of woke up in me at 14 days. Some of it I always say David went back to work. And so I had to have more of an active role in The medical side of things, I had been so much more focused on, does he have a pretty blanket? Does he have socks? Does he have a hat? Reading to him, singing to him. I was less focused on the medical side of things because I knew David had that, that when he went back to work, all of a sudden I realized, I got to know this. I got to understand why they're bringing one, he's going to ask me. David's going to ask me. And two, like, I, I need to know what's going on. And so I feel like for me, I woke up at 14 days and it wasn't a pretty thing to wake up to because all of a sudden I realized he is way more sick than I thought he was. Mm-hmm. He's way more fragile. He's way more dire. But it also was, okay, what do I got to do for us to make it through this? You know, to survive this, all right. of us in this way. So where do you feel like you were that 10 days when you went to Lebanon?
1: I think I was really similar to how you described yourself. Um, denial. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm typically a positive person, so... Um, I'm always like, we're going to make it through this. Like, you know, I'll start out that way. Mm -hmm. And, um, while I, you know, cried my eyes out when they told me that he had a severe brain injury and I could, was able to take that in and process it. I don't, I think I was in shock and just denial. Um, and that changed for me when, um, he had to get a G tube Mm -hmm. and they wheeled him off for surgery. Mm -hmm. And I just I had a physical attack, like mm-hmm. I just broke down and I couldn't stop shaking and I was freezing, but I was sweating and mm-hmm. it was just awful. So mm-hmm. I did have that change at that, at that time. Of
0: just kind of saying, this is bad. Yeah. And different than I ever thought or imagined. Yeah. Yeah. We're not walking out of here. You know, I, I really, I mean, I've, I've even brought it up to David, David and I on, um, on the anniversary of Forrest's death, we'll always go to dinner and we give ourselves grace on that day to kind of ask each other hard questions and to talk about hard things that maybe the rest of the year we, and you know, we talk about them all the time. But on his birthday, we do more of celebrating his life. But on his death day, we actually will kind of say some of the hard things
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that we know if we talked about every single day, we wouldn't be in a good place. But I remember one year sitting there and I said, you know, was that not so hard to look at me? Knowing what you knew medically, how much David had to have known how unbelievably sick and not okay his son was. And then to look at your wife, who was kind of like, we're going to come out. You know, like, yeah, I wasn't, you know, oblivious right. at all. I knew, but I could not grasp how sick he was. One, I'd never seen anyone that sick before in my whole life. Right. And I knew no one. Um And, you know, he said, Yeah. It was. And that's where he had to go to other people. You know, he, he talked with his residency friends because he was in the residency. He talked to other medical people and really would say, like, I don't know if we're going to, you know, this is, he said, if I said to anyone force as a grade three head bleed in this place on his brain, anyone in the medical world would have immediately gone, oh, man. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Right. Like, that's really bad. But to me, I didn't know that. And so he really protected me through that until, you know, it got to a point where it couldn't. But I can't imagine how hard that was then. But I remember like you having, I can tell you exact moments of this is when this happened where I woke up a little more or this happened and I, you know, uh, something procedure wise they did or even stuff that happened with me that made me go, okay, this is, this is way worse than I thought. Right. And what does that mean? You know, so for you, that was him, because I guess he wasn't eating well. He was not taking bottles or sucking well or any of that. And so it became, we have to do this.
1: That's right. Okay.
0: Okay. Even when the NICU came in to talk to you about that, do you feel like even at the beginning you were reluctant? Did you still feel like... Give us more time. He can get this. Yes. Okay.
1: Absolutely. Um, And I tried every day to breastfeed and the lactation consultant came in and she could tell like it was something I really wanted. Um, I just wanted that in general. Mm -hmm. And then I really wanted it because they kept telling me that he had no suck, swallow or gag. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, come on, buddy. Like you can do this. Like I was just cheering him on in my head constantly Mm -hmm. to keep myself lifted up. Um and I didn't know what a G tube was until then. I'd never met anybody with one. If I did, I didn't realize it. So to me it was like um so foreign. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like such an insurmountable just challenge that like I was just gonna be different. He was gonna be different and how and at the time, I think differently now, but how horrible that was just going to be for all of us, mm-hmm. like walking around with a G-tube, like, who does that? You know, mm-hmm. this is my thinking. Yeah. Um, you just want your kid to be normal because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah. you think that's the best. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, but obviously they convinced you or you saw that he wasn't getting it. There's some kind of turning point. Yeah. So he got that. Right. And then was it that once that was kind of healed and y'all mastered, because obviously you have to take the classes to master how to do the G-tube feedings. Correct. um, That then they said, okay, we've kind of got a timeline to be able to go home.
1: Right. Okay. Um, And that was really good about Le was these are the things that you have to do before you can discharge. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I think once he got the G-tube, it was like, how can we get out of here if you guys feel safe with him leaving? Mm -hmm. So we kind of had this like checklist and you have to go through training and learn CPR and um, you have to do a car seat like training Mm -hmm. thing where they bring. Car seat challenge is what they call it. Challenge, that's it. I couldn't remember the name. Yeah, the car seat challenge. Yeah, and I remember doing that. Every NICU
0: parent kind of dreads it because you're so worried they're. Yeah. Because it's such, it can be. If they don't pass, then you got to spend more time. That's right. Yeah, yeah.
1: And I think at that point, it had been three weeks, and we were, you know, exhausted and yeah. ready to take our little boy home. Scared. Yeah. Completely scared. Uh-huh. Um, you had come into our lives, and David, and um, y'all had given us some light and some hope and even some tips when we did take Asher home mm-hmm. and introduce him to the dogs, mm-hmm. you know, how to do that in a really fun way. Um So we were up for the challenge, and um, we did whatever we could. We were very hands-on, like, oh, you know, the nurse would come in to do something. I'd be like, can I do it? Yeah. You know, and that way I had as much training with all these professionals that Mm -hmm. do this every day before I did take them home. Yeah. I didn't sit back and just watch them do it. I Mm -hmm. got right in there and did it with them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we had some great um, NICU nurses that— um, allowed me to just hover over them,
0: yeah, yeah, mm-hmm.
1: and learn the tips and the tricks, mm-hmm.
0: and um, so then y'all get the car seat challenge, and even I think it's you stay in there for twenty four hours and take care of him fully that's, alone. That's true, yeah. Okay. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, so you have to be G tube trained, he has CPR. to pass the car seat challenge, CPR trained, and then the two of you stay in there. Sometimes they can, they allow both parents to stand there, and sometimes they'll do one parent for twelve hours and one parent for twelve hours. But you have to you in essence have to you have to pass right. that you can take care of your child on your own. Mm-hmm. You know, while still in the hospital, where if there was a need, so you all pass all that. And so now, I've heard other parents talk about this too that you've got this joy that you're going home, mm-hmm. but you're scared to death. Yes. Yeah. You know, I think even bringing home, you know, we've had where our first one, we never brought home. Our second one spent a week in the NICU. So we brought him home with some, you know, some medical concerns, nothing huge, but he had had respiratory issues and that's why he had stayed for a week. So a little more nervous. And our third was our first one to ever go home with us. Mm -hmm. You know, like when I was discharged, he was discharged with me. You even have fears then with a healthy, you know, baby of like, gosh, what if something happens? I don't know what to do. Add in that all the things that Asher had going on. Mm -hmm. Y'all had to be definitely pretty scared. Yes. So you get to take him home. Tell me kind of about that. How how did that go? How did y'all kind of handle all that?
1: Um, I think the drive home was just like, in a way, a silly way, it felt like freedom. Mm-hmm. And you just like look behind you and the hospital is like fading away. And you're like, yes, we made it out of mm-hmm. here, you know, because how many nights did I just pray mm-hmm. that I got to take him home? Mm-hmm. So you felt like you'd won one little victory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, And then we just got home and just poured ourselves into him. But Thankfully they'd set us up to go to the pediatrician within like 3 days and then he had us come back in a week. So and then we had a an at-home nurse that came in that I think was just part of like we didn't hire her. Mm-hmm. She would come in once a week and look at Asher, assess him, check him, make sure the G-tube stuff was going okay and then as she felt comfortable, she would discharge us.
0: Mm, okay.
1: So we weren't totally on our own. Mm -hmm. Grandparents stayed there. I think Philip's mom stayed for a week. Then my mom stayed for a week and then Mm -hmm. vice versa. So Mm -hmm. we had a lot of help and people surrounding us. And then how quickly did he
0: start therapies and things that he needed?
1: Yeah. So we got him into TEIS, um, maybe by the time he was four months. And I only say that is there's a little lag because you have to go through an evaluation. Mm -hmm. So someone comes to your house and they submit the paperwork. So there's a bit of a lag, but not because no one was doing anything. Mm -hmm. It was just part of the process takes a minute. Mm -hmm. And so then he immediately started with occupational therapy, developmental therapy, Speech therapy and physical therapy. So okay. we have four therapists coming in.
0: Wow. And all came to your home. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we know that not, you know, wherever you're listening from, not every state offers, you know, not every, but that's something that we have here. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think it's called Tennessee Early Intervention Service or System. Yes. Services. Yeah. Whatever the system or service. But it is a beautiful thing that they can come to you eventually. Did y'all go to where? Because he gets therapy now at school, is that right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. But it came to you, all those different therapies. How do you feel like during that time? Because obviously, you know, he's home. Mm-hmm. He survived. He did. Which was, didn't know that on day one, if he would at all. Right. How do you feel like? Because I can only imagine, obviously, those 27 days and then even those months after that it was so much of just living off pure adrenaline. Right. You know, you don't have time to break down. You don't have time to, you know, do any of those things because it's life or death here for for Asher day in and day out. So looking back on that, you know, a lot of families are very similar to y'all's of that they're discharged from a hospital. But their child is still fragile. Their child right. still has a lot of medical issues, or has a lot of things—a trach, or a G tube, or you know, a, a J tube, or whatever else going on. And I do think one of the things that community maybe doesn't do as well is that we think, well, they're out of the, they're out of the woodwork. You know, they're 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 home. Mm-hmm. They've got to be doing better. But really, in all honesty, that's when a lot of the challenges actually begin. Because it's you, you don't get to leave the NICU and take a little break or go on a walk or eat in the cafeteria by yourself, right. knowing someone's watching your baby twenty four seven you know it's it's really falling upon you, and That's so right. looking back on that, it's now been seven years, right? Almost it'll eight. be
1: eight in two
0: days, Wow, mm-hmm. okay. So looking back on that, you know, are there things that you wish maybe that y'all had done differently, that maybe community had done differently, or just, you know, or do you feel like, man, these are some great things that we did do for anyone that is listening that brings home, you know, a child with special needs, you know, what are some tips or tricks or things that you think, gosh, this was helpful, or I wish maybe we'd done this part different?
1: So I would say going back to the NICU, um, you know, if you don't feel ready to go home, because as you pointed out, all of a sudden you're at home alone, um, to stay there with those professionals. Like we were kind of rushed to leave and it worked out well for us. I don't remember regretting leaving at 27 days, but I do remember having the thought we're on our own. Like we don't get to sleep through the night because there's a nurse watching Asher Mm -hmm. and he's safe. You know, now it's all up to us. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would definitely say to just take your time and make sure you feel really comfortable with taking your child home Mm -hmm. um, and that they feel comfortable and you are communicating about that with the nurses and the doctors. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in a perfect world, it would be really awesome if the community could afford a nurse Mm -hmm. to be in the home with the family and phase out like Mm -hmm. over time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, especially as fragile as like someone like Asher was, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, the possibility of seizures or, um, just stopping breathing in the middle of the night, all of that. And he, um, didn't sleep good as most newborns don't. Mm -hmm. So you're exhausted. Thankfully we had grandparents, Mm -hmm. but they're still not medical professionals, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. Um, I think that would be really cool to somehow afford families um, if they wanted it. Mm-hmm. And maybe we would have turned it down like, no, we want to be by ourselves. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. But yeah. looking back on it, like yeah. I could see how that would be really a huge benefit, um, even if they just came in at night and helped you through the night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Night nurse kind of thing. Of just, right. Where you could maybe at that point turn your
0: brain off a little bit because you probably, truly in 24 hours, could never turn it off. That's right. For fear or what if. and, and, I think, too, um, one thing people maybe don't understand is that, um, like, in Asher's, did the G-tube run 24 hours?
1: Yeah. So, um, and he had a lot of issues vomiting and stuff. Mm -hmm. So at some point, we had to just continuously feed him through the night. So he had a, a tube that was coming up out of his crib and hanging on a feeding pump bag. Um, And you're just terrified he's going to get his little wrist Mm -hmm. twisted up in it and rip it out. And, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, you just don't sleep well. Yeah. Um, With
0: all those different things. And the beeps and the. Yes. Because the feed doesn't go for eight hours straight. Nope. Yeah. It obviously runs out. The bag runs out and makes some noises. And so one of you has to go in. and, And I've always heard families talk about, too, the, you know, not knowing that it had a little leak and all of a sudden. You Go in there and the baby's just covered in formula.
1: Oh, yes, you fe- <laughs> it's called You Feed the Bed.
0: <laughs> You're like, Oh my goodness, you know, this yes. is not the 2 a.m. call I, or the 2 a.m. noise I wanted to wake up to is that everything the baby, the mattress, the sheets, everything's just
1: covered, covered, yeah, so or, or breast milk, yeah, or-
0: yeah, breast milk or whatever it is,
1: yeah. And Philip and I, um, normally. You would think people would rotate, like maybe the husband would get up at night, one night, and then the um, the wife the next night or whatever. Um, but the way we had it is I was pumping to give Asher breast milk because mm-hmm. that meant a lot to mm-hmm. me. Um, and so I tried to time it where when his feed, he needed to be fed in the middle of the night, Philip would get up to go feed Asher with his pump, but I would go and pump to get more food mm-hmm. to give to him. Mm-hmm. and so we're both getting up every two to three hours oh all night long yeah and then I remember just bringing Asher into the bed with us and we had one of these like little nest things that you put between the two people and and uh, so you don't roll on the baby or whatever and we put him in it and I was like, please dear God, just sleep <laughs> just <laughs> yeah. sleep because when he was being fed it wasn't always when um, we were, having he was up and awake it was like sometimes we had to get up and refill his bag to keep feeding him Mm -hmm. but he was sleeping Mm -hmm. but then we'd get into bed and then all of a sudden he'd wake up yeah couldn't you couldn't nail those times just right yeah yeah so having a professional to like come in and like Mm -hmm. balance some of that with you for a little while would be really nice now was
0: Family members, were they comfortable with the medical side or was that something that kind of, you know, made them nervous? How did that? Because that was one thing one of our families was saying uh, that we interviewed and then even in the um, podcast we did for Valentine's that that we kind of heard mixed. Some had wished more had felt more comfortable with the medical side of things and been able to help in that way. And then some had, you know, that had really been a blessing. And so, you know, I think through my own family, I don't know whether my mother could have handled any of the medical kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I think she would have been very nervous of doing something wrong, messing up. What if something happened? Um, I know there's other family members. So was that something you and Philip felt like you had to do? It really had to be you two that did all of the feeds and the meds and the seizure meds and all that stuff? Or was that something that some family members could come and kind of help you a little bit with that?
1: I think for um, us at the time, at night, that's something we wanted to do mm-hmm. as a, a family of three. Mm-hmm. Um, but my mom went through all the trainings with us. Mm-hmm. Um, in Lebanon and they thankfully let a grandmother go through all that. So during the day she would come over sometimes and be like go take a nap. Mm-hmm. I've got him. I you know, and she was learning the pump and you know how to give him stuff through the syringe and everything like that. So yeah.
0: and what a gift that is, yeah. too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um okay, so let's
0: now so 4 months old he starts therapy. That's obviously a huge chunk of y'all's day and time. Is therapies coming? Oh, yes. Managing therapies. And not only that, I don't think people understand that not only does therapy come, but then they leave things for you to do. Correct. As well. Therapy is not just one hour a week. You know, Asher has a physical therapist. It's all these other things that y'all need to be doing. So it almost becomes where it just consumes you. Correct. So Asher starts out at four months. Are Tell me, kind of about that four months and and moving on from there. What is that like? What's y'all's life like? And how's Asher
1: doing? Okay, so and I will say before TIS um, kicked in, Labaner allowed us to come to private therapies um, downtown. They had a place down um, down there really close to the hospital. And so we did start that even at two months. And we'd take him down there and get a couple of therapists hands-on. And then TEIS kicked in. And then we started just doing stuff in the home because um, they didn't want um, too many months of the lag there where he wasn't getting any therapy. Um, so I was thankful for that. And then once TEIS started coming in, um, I was really thankful to have them they were wonderful ladies um most of all of them were ladies that i dealt with and they helped asher but they also helped me because there was someone to talk to Mm -hmm. and i had like human interaction Mm -hmm. which i really appreciated um but once um, the therapist started coming in i think he had been approved for all four therapies to come once a week and it became too much in the sense of we were going to the doctor every couple weeks. Um, and at that point you had a few different doctors and then you had four therapists. Um, and I just felt like every day was filled with something. Mm -hmm. And, um, I eventually had a talk with them and I said, you know, I need some downtime with just me and Asher Mm -hmm. because to take him somewhere took so much preparation or to have someone come in the home took preparation. Mm Um, so can we push you guys out to uh, maybe physical therapy, you stay once a week, but can we do occupational therapy every two weeks Mm -hmm. and speech therapy every three weeks or something? And they were very open to that and what I needed because they said, whenever you're ready and you want us back more often, we can start back up. This is your thing and you kind of dictate how much we come and go. Mm -hmm. So I appreciated that.
0: Okay. And you felt like that was just, what you and Asher both needed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It just was a lot. And, mm-hmm.
0: um, so I don't I'd... think people realize just how many specialists mm-hmm. and how each one of those specialists wants to check in with you. Like, it's not just the pediatrician. Right. You had your neurologist. You had the, um, I don't even know what's the G tube doctor called? Um,
1: G tube clinic. Yeah. Is... G tube clinic. Yeah.
0: All, you know, so you have all these different, and, and one, Definite thing that I hear is a often concern, maybe even complaint of children with um, special needs that maybe have multidisciplinary things going on is that there's not always great communication between the many different doctors and specialists and therapists and all those things. And so maybe they're not even aware. So I'm really proud of you that you spoke up because I think sometimes they're not even aware of, on Monday, you went and saw the G-tube clinic. On Tuesday, you had to see the neurologist. On Wednesday, you had speech therapy and OT. On Thursday, you had physical therapy. And, you know, he needed to also just go to his normal pediatrician because Mm -hmm. those are still all the time when they're little on Friday, you know, so sometimes when you say it is so much and to get Asher ready and out the door is a huge process. Yes. You know, whether it's planning ahead for the G2, when's the g tube going to run and be done or, you know, is he going to be awake and alert for therapy or, um, you know, just his needs of, of getting in and out or whatever else. So I'm really proud of you that you were able to verbalize that. And realize that that is what was best for both of you in that he still was going to do great. Part of the reason, though, I think that he did do so great is because I know you and Philip also worked with him. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, yeah. okay, well, we're only going to do occupational every two weeks. And that means really he's only going to get occupational therapy every two weeks. Right. I know y'all well enough to know that you were doing things with him all the time. That's right. Um, and not only, I don't want to say that parents just have to constantly be doing therapy, but even just the interacting with him and mm-hmm. getting on the floor with him and you know when he's on his tummy y'all being down there with him and
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know the dog being down there with him all those things are part of quote-unquote therapy that's right you know of getting him to do the things that he does but also getting to be a normal baby who doesn't have nine million things right you know going on so so that's through. so let's jump to he makes it to a year old. Okay. Huge milestone. Right. Obviously. Where are y'all at that place? How's he doing? How are y'all doing? Kind of where are y'all at?
1: Um, I think at a year he was, um, you know, he's had, he was having some issues uh, we dealt a lot with when he was younger, um, vomiting. Mm-hmm. And I never knew what was going on and they didn't know because... When you get a G tube a lot of times they recommend a nissen fundoplication. I think I mm-hmm. think I'm saying that right. Where they tighten mm-hmm. the band around the top of your stomach because a lot of kids with G tubes and neurological problems, both of those combined, um, tend to bring their food back up mm-hmm. easily. Well, here's Asher. He's got this saying and this nissen it's supposed to keep it down. Um, but he's just vomiting mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. And so weight gain becomes an issue. Mm-hmm. And anyone that's ever had a kid, they're tracking every ounce they gain mm-hmm. their entire first couple years of their life. Mm-hmm. And so I just remember having a lot of anxiety about just not being able to keep his food down mm-hmm. um, and going in and just hearing. Wow, you lost two ounces this week and just feeling like a failure mm-hmm. as a parent. Yeah. Like, but I'm trying to do it. Like my child eats every two to three hours for like an hour at a time. Yeah. I feel like I'm tethered to the G tube as yeah. well. Yeah. And again, why it was hard to get out and do things as easy as like a doctor's appointment or something. Um, there was no like going to the park, you mm-hmm. know, because you only had freedom for a small moment. So at one year old I think we were still dealing with that. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had these cat-like reflexes, like, oh, here it comes, you know, and head to the sink and just, like, put him over it so Mm -hmm. he can vomit or, you know, whatever it was. Um, But we were also just so excited we had made it to one year Mm -hmm. because we had heard a couple times that he may not make it Mm -hmm. and to celebrate every year with him. Mm -hmm. So um, for us— We were like celebrating his life, Mm -hmm. but also dealing with a really big fire that we just felt like was consuming our life. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And how long did that end up kind of have y'all today gotten that under control, the vomiting, that kind of stuff?
1: Yes. So it took a lot of years. Um, And I, from what I understand, I am not, Asher's not alone in this problem. It's Mm -hmm. kind of common, but you would go in and they'd be like, but he has a Nissen. Why is he throwing up? And I'm like, I don't know why he's throwing up. <laughs>
0: yeah, you're the doctor. But he is. Yeah. I'm
1: not lying to you. You know. Yeah. And they'd run tests on him and all that. Um, and so eventually when he turned one, we started introducing him to real food. Okay. Okay. And I really think Asher may have had an issue with the formula mm-hmm. because at like two months, um, I stopped making breast milk and mm-hmm. we switched to a formula and we tried every formula under the sun from... The broken down ones, to the most expensive ones, we are like, I'm never going to be able to afford this. Yeah. <laughs> but if my kid gains weight, great. So at a year, we worked with a doctor, an amazing doctor, that was like, I think we're going to have to heal the gut. Mm-hmm. So an interesting thing I really want people to understand and try to pass this on because it was like an aha moment for me is when your child's on a cooling blanket, mm-hmm. their gut is dead. Everything in their body except for like four organs, main organs, are dead. Mm -hmm. And so for something like your gut to be dead for three days, Mm -hmm. it doesn't function properly after that. On top Mm -hmm. of the fact that he has a G-tube and a Nissen, Mm -hmm. which is like, you know, messing with the whole component of your all the parts of your stomach and everything. Um, So we had to slowly just like give him really good stuff and Mm -hmm. just weight and be patient. Mm -hmm. And slowly over the years, he threw up less and less, and he keeps his food down really well and gains weight now. But Mm -hmm. it took a long time and a lot of patience um, Mm -hmm. to get there.
0: Yeah. So really introducing, kind of moving away from the formula aspect, or I guess a diet of only formula, really. Right. Because he was a diet of only breast milk and then formula, and moving more into the solids, being put into G tube. Yeah, the consistency that needed to a G-tube. And his stomach and everything being able to function, understand that again. Mm-hmm. and um, I'm so glad. I mean, I'm so glad that someone listened to you and you felt like, okay, this all makes sense to me and, and that he was able to be able to handle that.
1: Um, well, and you don't know if you're going to ever get there because you think because you have a G-tube, you only get formula your whole life. And mm-hmm. so I really found great joy in putting pureed sweet potato in a syringe and putting it through his G-tube just like you would give a one-year-old maybe a little bit of jar a sweet mm-hmm. potato or banana mm-hmm. and take that in. I didn't realize that was an option for me. Yeah. And so when I got to do it, I felt joy from giving my kid like real food. Yeah. And he immediately started to get better on the Uh, real food. Okay. And so that's still now?
0: Yes. Okay. So y'all still, his diet is all the same stuff you and I pretty much eat. Correct. Healthy vegetables, fruits, all that stuff just pureed Mm -hmm. to be able to go through his G-tube.
1: Yeah. So we um, got a Vitamix Mm -hmm. and you can learn this through going through G-tube clinic, I think now, Mm -hmm. but um, it was kind of new when we were in G-tube clinic, like- Pretty much everyone just stayed on formula, but we tried a different route. So, um, as you need something like a Vitamix because it has to be like super high powered. And Vitamix is amazing because they have a G tube program. And if you call and say my child has a G tube, they give you a huge discount. Wow! And then they so over. Good to know. Yes, it's, okay. that's been a great resource. And then if it, something goes wrong with the Vitamix. They overnight you another one, and you just send them your old one back. Okay.
0: Gosh, great resource to know.
1: So so you
0: puree, because I I did that when they were little as well, and I do also love my Vitamix. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, so he kind of gets, and then now is he more a consistent eat when y'all eat? Does he still need through the night? How does he kind of do now?
1: No, so we got away from the overnight feeds, thankfully, because you started gaining weight on real food. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we throw in fruits, vegetables, even meats, bone broth, oat milk. Mm-hmm. Um, and we worked with a nutritionist who... Um, just helped us like find a really good balance for him and um, we rotate through fruits and vegetables and meats but we're basically putting the same amount of everything into a blender making up a whole batch for two days okay and I pour it up in different servings and then I pull that serving out and put it into his pump bag and feed him that and he eats in about 25 minutes now Okay. okay and he eats um three Meals just like you and I do, okay. breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and he gets a snack when he gets home from school, just okay. like we all want our yeah. snack when we get home there from school.
0: Okay. <laughs> okay, so tell me about that. So he is in school. That's right. Okay, and tell me how that's gone and how he's done in school and how that's been for all of you.
1: Yeah, so um, through TEIS, um, Asher's therapist suggested we go and take a look at Shrine School, which born and raised here in Memphis, I hadn't, I didn't know anything about Shrine School, even though it's been around for a long time. So um, they have a pre-K program. And if your child is in TIS, they can qualify to go start going to school um, at the day they turn three. So we went um, and took a tour. We emailed them and they said, yeah, come see us. And it was amazing. So he's at Shrine School still to this day. Um, It is a pre-K through 12th grade school uh, for all special needs kids. And I would say that most of the kids are moderate to severely affected. Mm -hmm. So Asher fits in perfectly there. Most of them are in wheelchairs, nonverbal. They have three teachers in each classroom. The classrooms are small. I think Asher has like 10 kids in his class. Mm -hmm. Um, They have... You know, four to five six nurses on staff there. Um, and then they have a heated swimming pool, mm. and um, they do prom and have basketball team, and they mm-hmm. are just loved on so much there because everyone that's coming there is signing up to work with special needs kids, mm-hmm. um, which I love personally. Mm-hmm. I wanted that for Asher for him to be amongst children that were very similar to him. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe that isn't for every parent. Maybe they want their child to be more of a typical kids. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody is their own journey in that, and right. what you decide. But um, I think Shrine, I always call it the diamond in the rough yeah. because not a lot of people know about it. Um, and it's in a poor community, um, but it is one of the most amazing places. And I foresee keeping Asher there. Um, until he graduates. Wow. Do they come and
0: get him? Do you take him? How does that work?
1: So they have, but there are Shelby County schools, which is our public school system here in Memphis. Yeah. Um, So they operate just like any public school in the sense of they have a bus service that comes and picks your child up if you want them to ride the bus. And it's a handicap, accessible bus. Mm -hmm. And I think they can have maybe up to six kids on each bus. Okay. And I know, for instance, um, a friend of mine, child that goes there they lived in high point which is out at highland and sam cooper Mm -hmm. and he got picked up Mm -hmm. and this school is on the other side of the city so i don't think there's any like boundaries to where these buses can go okay okay and then they also will qualify for breakfast and lunch um so it's just like that or for myself i drop asher off i take him and then i pick him up okay Okay. i have that liberty but and then you send with him
0: what he needs to eat, right? That's correct. Okay. So you send and they're able to give him his meal, his that's G2 right. meal at mealtimes. Mm-hmm. If there's any meds or anything else, because they have the nursing staff, they can handle all that. That's right. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. So this is year what four or five for him?
1: Yeah. So he started, he's finishing up second grade Um, and he's been there since the day turned three which was just a couple months of the end of one school year. And then he was in preschool for two years and then went kindergarten for a second. Wow. And so, and do
0: they kind of stay, like, are the, when you say, you know, I think you might have said 10 students, is that like 10 that technically are all second grade Mm -hmm. kind of staying together?
1: Yeah. um, Sometimes there's a mixture. Like last year in first grade, he had some second graders in his Mm -hmm. class. Okay. So, I haven't quite figured out how they mix them. I don't know if he had, he was in with second graders because he's doing well, or if they were in with him because they needed to learn a little bit more in the first grade. Yeah. Um, And in a way, maybe that none of that's my business. But generally speaking, I know a lot of the kids because he's been with them for five years now. They've moved with him. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: And, um, And so, like,
1: the swimming. Does he do that often, like, yeah, I sign him up, and wow. yeah, they they get him in, and they have all the you know things that they need to float, yeah. yeah,, and you don't have to do it. Some of the kids don't want to get in the pool, they're terrified of water, yeah, um, but the teachers will get in, but they also have hired someone wow. that love that oversees that, okay, okay, and does he go every day to School? shrine, yeah. Okay. Five
0: days a week. Okay. So Monday through Friday goes to school. Mm-hmm.
1: You take him, drop all his stuff off. You pick him up. Um, in pre-K, you can fluctuate that, though. Okay. So, for instance, when he first started school, I only sent him two days a week because pre-K is not a required school um, age, So, in the, at least in the state of Tennessee. So you can, um, if you want to do three mornings a week mm-hmm. or all five days, it's up to you as a parent. Um, until they get into kindergarten how much they go
0: okay Mm -hmm. and then medically how how's Asher doing I want to talk about how Asher's doing overall and your family but medically how's Asher doing are his seizures pretty under control
1: no no (laughs) no (laughs) that has been our fire lately okay so um, as most special needs parents know you put one fire out A lot of times another one pops up. And I always say to people, it's not being a special needs mom that's hard. It's being a mom of a medically fragile kid Mm -hmm. because it just seems like there's always some fire. But overall, um, not Philip, Asher's health is really doing well. Mm -hmm. He was very sick. I Mm -hmm. think you may have remembered you visit us a lot in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, We just celebrated two years of not being in the hospital. Mm -hmm. That's huge for someone like Asher, who would go every couple months.
0: Well, and let's explain that too, because for Asher and a lot of children with special needs, a common cold is a very, very big deal for a child's special needs, especially a child that maybe does not suck well and gag well, doesn't have a cough reflex well. Right. You know, he gets a cold and that junk can sit in his lungs because he doesn't have the reflex to cough it up and get it out or whatever else. And so he often would need more support. Right. So, you know, that's I feel like a, an often theme that we do see is we, you know, sometimes we'll call them our frequent flyers, that we, you know, see them often just what may for a, a typical child look like a common cold can be very devastating right. to a child with special needs or a medically fragile child. And so often y'all would have something happen that would cause you to have to kind of go in, spend a couple of days, get more support. Right go home and, and kind of back and forth through that. So, okay. Yeah. So two years, so really right. all of COVID you've not been in at all.
1: Correct. Okay. And and I'm thankful for that reason yeah. because yeah. of COVID, but yeah, I mean, he used to go in, um, for seizures. Mm-hmm. Um, he would have really terrible seizures and during them, he would aspirate, mm-hmm. which would cause pneumonia. Mm-hmm. So we would stay for a few nights and he went through a bout of, Um, bronchitis for a year and a half where he was just getting it all the time Mm -hmm. you know and they're saying we're running out of being able to give this kid antibiotics Mm -hmm. and I'm like I know I know he's going to get better it's going to get better you know that's me being positive Mm but I mean we had some really scary times Brittany where Mm -hmm. I had the moment of I don't know if he's going to make it much longer Mm -hmm. because he was so sick all the time Mm -hmm. like you said just aspirating, getting stuff into his lungs mm-hmm. or having a cold that moved down into his lungs and, you know, caused pneumonia or bronchitis. And he just couldn't breathe and get through it very well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but now we've celebrated two years. Um, I think he's getting stronger. His doctors think he's getting stronger and moving out of like um, just needing to be in the hospital, obviously, as much Um So thankful, super thankful for that because going in and out of the hospital is exhausting. Mm -hmm. And that's what I meant by that phrase I said is like, you know, I think I had accepted Asher as like the special needs kid that may never talk or walk. But it just wore me out emotionally to like Mm -hmm. take him in and out of that hospital and and not know if he was going to come home with me. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. that was just really, really hard. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, just give him a break, you know, just begging, give him a break, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Needing something to, something to go right. Yeah. Yeah. And not that feeling of, like you said, putting out one fire and another one pops up. Um, So doing better as far as not being in the hospital, lungs, kind of being able to fight the common cold a little bit better, those sort of things. You know, we've also talked about that, obviously, there are so many things that have been so difficult about COVID, but honestly, for our friends that are special needs and our friends that are fighting cancer, people wearing masks have been a gift. Yes. Because we're not walking around sneezing next to the child with special needs who, you know, you got to go to the grocery store. Asher's going to go with you. You know, unfortunately... Joe shows up with a cold and sneezes next to Asher. Well, that's a big deal to Asher, but with these masks. And so I do want people just to think about that. I mean, I don't know if for the rest of our lives we need to wear a mask every single day. But please, just if if you are under the weather, don't go anywhere. Please, okay. if you can help it. We know there are times that you have to go to Walgreens to get your prescription filled or you have to go to Kroger to get some food. But nowadays we have so many different delivery options and
1: mm-hmm. different options.
0: But think about kids like Asher, who need more protection. um, And and it's not fair for him to have to be at home 24-7 just to make sure that he's safe and healthy. He should be able to also be able to do things and do life. But just think about that, that not only, you know, we talk about with Wearing mask or not going out when you're sick, it's not only about protecting yourself. It's also about protecting others and right. those that are more vulnerable. That's right. And Asher is. He's more vulnerable to that. So so right now, seizure, still trying to kind of get that under control.
1: Yeah. So he, um, his first five or six years of life, he had maybe six a year. And they were bad ones. Mm-hmm. I mean, they would land him in the hospital usually. Um, so I'm not wanting to trade it for that. But, you know, now he's having... As, as many as six a week you know mm-hmm. so six a year to six a week is a huge jump yeah. and um you just you know try to and they don't know why neurology doesn't know exactly why they've gotten no they've increased and thankfully our wonderful doctor there had like a therapy session with us and when I say that I mean she just let me sit down and like go and go and go and mm-hmm. she listened and took notes and and went through it all with me but um and I just said, I don't understand, like, why is this happening to him? And she's like, well, we don't always understand, especially with brain injuries, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, why this is happening. But um, one thing I taught myself to do that I would, you know, suggest for other parents is kind of learn um, the language of types of seizures and the movements and things like that. Um, I didn't do that for a long time. And now, you know, when he has a seizure, I'm writing down like what do I see and then I can report back to her and then she knows you know this specific medicine actually works really much better with those type of seizures Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. there's different types and you know you're aware you're not aware you have different movements and um, they if they the more they know Mm -hmm. what you're seeing at home the more they can help yeah. um the child out. Yeah. So. I've
0: even heard the doctors say if you can video. Right. You know if you happen to be able to catch it if you can video it and show you know is it that they go kind of limp is it that their eyes roll back is it that they kind of have a little twitch or right. you know do they jerk to one side or something that maybe even others wouldn't notice because they can be sometimes the seizures can even be you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but some simple things, Mm -hmm. but you know, as mom, that's not the norm for him. Um, And that they're happening, you know, numerous times, not just, oh yeah, once in a blue moon, you know, his eyes roll back or his, you know, he twitches a certain way or whatever. So I've also heard them say, if you can video, if there's any way you can video it, that that's helpful as well to be able to show them. And like you said, keeping notes journaling. And we really kind of, that's something that I think I've encouraged others in parent mentoring is really in in no matter your child's kind of sickness or diagnosis or what's going on. I think that's really important Mm -hmm. to be able to take notes as far as what it is that you're seeing or noticing or because we hope that we'll remember it all. But We're not going to, Mm -hmm. especially when you add in lack of sleep and, you know, all the other things that are going on. And so I do think it's important to be able to even mark, like you said, the fact that, you know, I think sometimes our brains say this is happening so much more often. Right. But is it really? You know, but if you actually kept up Mm -hmm. to 10, you know, one seizure like this to 11, one seizure like this, then you can really go back. and go, No, it really is. It really is way more than we thought it was. Or they're getting longer. Or, you know, whatever else. So um, I know y'all have done that. Well, hopefully they can. I mean, we have some of the best neurologists and um, seizure clinic disorder group here in Memphis. So hopefully they can kind of get a better grasp on that for Asher. Um,
1: Overall, how's he doing? Um, I would say he's doing great. Mm -hmm. I consider Asher the best he's ever been. That's awesome. Yeah. And he's... To me, just so smart and bright mm-hmm. um, and has such a personality. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't know it because he's physically unable to do a lot. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, as his parent, like you can just tell he shines through um, in his like facial expressions mm-hmm. because he can't speak. So mm-hmm. we learn to speak his language and read his language through facial expressions. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so thankful for those because he has the best smile. Yes, he
0: does. He really, really does. He has the best smile. And, um, I feel like anytime that I see him, he's just joyful. Yeah. And he really is. He's just a really, really joyful, um, little boy. Well, as we're kind of wrapping up, is there anything that you feel like, you know, advice you give to other families that maybe aren't walking the exact same journey as you, but, um, they too have a child with special needs or um something unfortunately also happened at birth or um even, you know, obviously other families have to where head injuries have happened later on and, and how much that can affect child um, in one way or another. So is there any kind of advice that you feel like, man, I wish somebody had told me this or I wish I'd known or um, I know some of the stuff you've already said, keeping up with the journal, mm-hmm. um, advocating, obviously, for, Huge. you know, changing from the formula into, into, solid foods that can be pureed down or um you know not having the therapy go as often as it did for the well-being of both of y'all. Mm-hmm. Um is there anything else that you really think gosh I, I want to make sure that I share this as well?
1: Um there's so many things, but I'll pluck some out. Um I think if from being in the hospital so often one thing that I felt I learned um that helped me a lot when I was in there is to be very hands-on. Mm-hmm. Um, that's impressive to the doctors and the nurses, but it also teaches you mm-hmm. in, in case there is something new you're going home with. Um, I feel like people are always surprised, like, oh, my gosh, you got to go home so quick. and And it was a lot of times because we were right in the middle mm-hmm. of them, and we were meeting with the doctors every morning in rounds and just being very – um, a big participant mm-hmm. in all of our child's, um, just dis- what they were deciding for our child in the hospital, mm-hmm. as well as changing his diaper, giving him his feeds, while he's in there, because you can sit back and let the nurse do that. And mm-hmm. maybe you might need that for a day or two. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But I think it's always like, um, really good to just be very hands-on when you go in there. Mm-hmm. Um, It makes them feel comfortable that you know what you're doing, and then it makes you feel comfortable Mm -hmm. that you know what you're doing when you go to take them home. Yeah, yeah, for
0: sure. What about advice for families that this is not what you thought? And we often use the words a new normal. So when Asher was born you know, when he was in your tummy, it was, this is not what you had envisioned, you know, how he came into the world and his injury at birth and and on and on. And so, but it's become a new normal, but it's beautiful. Right. His life is beautiful. Your family is beautiful. He is, he is beautiful in all ways. Um, You know, what kind of advice would you give to the mom or dad that's really struggling with the fact that this isn't what they envisioned or thought it was going to look like or what it was going to be, what would you say to
1: them? Um, I So much to say, but I think, first of all, to allow yourself to feel all the feelings that you have, whether they're Anywhere from hatred of something that happened or someone to um, joy to confusion to not even sure if maybe you want your kid because there's going to be so different to allow yourself to feel that this is your journey. And no matter what I say or Brittany says, um, you'll get there in your time. But I do want to give all of y'all hope because Asher is very different than a typical child. And I was terrified of that. But my life is so much better that he is in it because he has given me a new perspective on life Mm -hmm. through him. And I think that um, if everything goes perfect in our life, sometimes we don't learn much. Mm -hmm. But when you go through something as traumatic as having a child with special needs or a brain injury, um, you have the opportunity to... Um, take that and grow, Mm -hmm. you know, and let them show you what life is truly about. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like I am a better person because Asher is in my life. And I, I know Philip feels that way. I know both of our sets of grandparents have voiced that to us. Like we look at the community as a whole, the United States of America, everyone just differently because um, this little boy has shown us what life um really is truly about you mm-hmm. know and it's not about having everything perfect mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know it's yeah. and i it took me a long time to get there guys so i don't know if i accepted that until i was, he was close to two years old and it's still layers of peeling off and accepting more and more so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um it, it can be such a bright and joyful life um and they can really um those the special needs community um, is usually just filled with the most precious people in the whole world mm-hmm. that also have just an open heart um, to everyone and everything. And those people get to be a part of your life. And you just feel filled up by all these people that are being brought into your life because now you are in that community as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... so-
0: I, and I just want to say on behalf of David and I that, you know, we were blessed to meet y'all early mm-hmm. in the journey. I think we met you on like day 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there, some of your first days at Lebanon. And, um, you know, and so obviously I meet families a lot and then I will bring David in when I feel like it's a, a good chance for David to talk to a dad or relate to a dad. And, um... And then obviously, we've kept in touch with y'all and continue to be a part of y'all's life and y'all part of ours as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it always brings me so much joy to see your family at the 5K mm-hmm. and Asher just having the biggest smile on his face when uh, him and his little wheelchair, yeah. special chair is going in the 5K. Um, and we've continued to be able to be a part of that. And what a joy it has been for y'all to open your heart and lives to us. And, um, you know, I say too that. Um, there's a, a movie a long time ago, I don't know how long ago, I think it actually may still be out, but I watched it a long time ago, um, I think called About Time. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to have to go back and think about what that exact thing is. But um, I actually, people will get a giggle out of this, I thought it was Rachel McAdams and Tatum Channing in it. And so I thought it was going to be a rom-com and it was not a rom-com Um, but I wasn't quite prepared, but David and I actually sat and watched it together. And, um, and it was more about a man who was able to go back in time. His father had gone back in time and then the gene had been passed on him. So he's allowed to go back in time. And so it was the story of how he, you know, something would go whatever wrong. And so he would go back in time to change it. Well, there is a part where by this time he had had, um, a family and, um, I believe now it's been a while. I believe I don't wanna ruin the whole thing, but something happened to another family member, like an extended family member. And so he was like, I'm just gonna go back. I wanna say it has something to do with drugs. I'm just gonna go back and I'm gonna I'm gonna fix I'm not gonna let her go down that path or or whatever. And then when he came back to the actual present time, everything in his life was different. Mm-hmm. And now I can't remember if he's still married, but like the children weren't there. There's everything. And I remember him going to his father. I was like, why didn't you tell me? He's like, you can't go back so far and change things without it trickling to everything then changing your life. You change one thing in your life. Everything then will be changed. And we were walking up the stairs to tuck our kids in to bed and, um, and, I remember walking down the stairs and I said something like, if I could go back in time, I would change. Forrest, I, I, I would change. And in that moment, I literally broke down crying because I realized that if I go back to September 10th, 2007, and I changed that he didn't get sick, that he didn't group, group, group B strap, and he didn't get sick, that every aspect of my life would be different. Right. I don't know if I'd have the three kids that I have. I obviously wouldn't have the four spins fund. I don't know if my marriage would be like it is. Everything would be different by changing that one thing. And it has stuck with me for years of that there is a real choice in the way that we look at life and the perspective of, of what we look at life. And that even though you would wish that none of this happened to Asher right. and that his um, delivery and everything had gone great and fine. How, if you could go back and change that, how, like you said, it would change every aspect of your whole entire life and how his little life, the impact it has made on so many people mm-hmm. and the people you've met and then the the way that you've been able to love on others and mm-hmm. encourage others in the special needs community. And so I just, I'm so I always tell people if it wasn't for Forrest and if it wasn't for Asher, I don't know if we would have ever met. Right. You know, I don't know if I would know you and know your family. And um, and so I'm so thankful for both of those little boys for bringing us together and for David and I being able to um, be a part of your lives and get to see um, Asher grow up and know y'all. And um, I'm really proud of y'all Thank and you. really proud of the parents that you are and proud of Asher. And um, we were always in your corner. Thank you. Fighting for you and um, cheering you on in the good and the bad and the ugly. And thank you for being inspiration to so many. Thank you. Um, and uh, we're so proud of that little boy. Yeah, me too. I'm proud of y'all too. So thank you for sharing your story. I know it's never easy to, I feel like I made you relive some things that are kind of hard, but I think it's important that we share our stories um, because as you said, it offers hope. Mm-hmm. And it offers to where people say, gosh, I'm in something really hard right now and I can't see a light. I see no light and I don't know how I'm going to do this, but others have. Others have walked through a really difficult journey. If they can do it, maybe I can do it too. If they're not only, Asher's still, Asher's not got everything roses. Asher's still got medical things. Asher's still got so many of the things that he has going on. Um, but it's also still beautiful. Yes. And so thank you for offering hope and sharing your story with us today. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. We hope that this podcast is a resource for you and a source of support. Whether you are facing illness in your own family or want to walk beside other families dealing with childhood illness. We want the stories, wisdom, and knowledge shared to give you hope. Episodes will be released bi-weekly, so be sure to subscribe today.